Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. We are excited to be joined this morning by Ivy Riggs. Good morning, Ivy. Good morning. I was going to say a chant like, Ivy, but I didn't. I like it. I like chants. <laughs> like a, a real full official yeah. welcome. Okay. When yeah. you I'm going to make room. you a clap. Background. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we're going to kind of start off on a bummer note. We kind of felt like a little bit more language bills kind of focused on attacking educators this week. Kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, One of them ended up on the agenda for next week and one hasn't yet, but we're hearing that uh, the governor is really pushing a big bill that we fought all last session. Senate Bill 634 made it all the way through the Senate last year and most of the way through the House. So it's eligible to be heard on the House floor. Currently, it's not on the agenda, but it would change the way we payroll deduct our dues. I just... I get so frustrated when I think of all of the problems we have in the state of Oklahoma, Uh, you know, teacher shortages, not feeling respected, feeling overworked. professional shortages. Exactly. Staffing everywhere. And and we are going to focus on something that is uh, just not their business, frankly. Uh, What I do with my paycheck is no one's business. They're not saying that this is too much work on HR or payroll clerks, right? There, there still will be there. There still will be an allowance to payroll deduct magazines and credit union savings accounts and car payments and United Way French benefits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, American Fidelity yeah. insurance. Yeah. Anything you can still payroll deduct all of that, and and it can roll over. But what they're saying is just for professional association dues. Only for educators, not for firefighters, not for police officers, not for anyone else, public employees. Mm -hmm. You know, they are public employees and they can payroll deduct anything they want. I'm not saying they do, but they can. And it rolls over. But what they're saying is just for educators, they're going to have to have very specific language about their First Amendment rights. And it will have to be redone every year. And what we heard last year from school districts across the state is that will be very expensive. They will either have to hire temporary help or pay people overtime because of the tight window mm-hmm. of the back to school time. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's nonsense, frankly. Um, that's my word. And, um, and we have heard no complaints ever on this process. Right. No school district has mm-hmm. requested this. No, yeah. no teacher has requested this. Uh, the, I don't even know that house leadership cares that much about it, but the governor is really pushing it. And, and as we all know, the budget and getting bills signed is a, is a three-legged stool and the governor is one of those legs. And so, um, there is a pressure, I think in general to make sure all three, uh, branches get along or all three groups get along and, and can get a budget passed. So, uh, this is the time of year when, I don't want to say deals get made, but but pressure for deals to be made happens. I remember last year when this bill came up, uh, the whole impetus behind this bill was this had to do with the Janus decision. So let's help our members understand. So the Janus decision was a Supreme Court decision that was only for states that had what we call 
everybody was a member. You right. were automatically a you member. You were forced to you be a member. You were forced to be a you member. You didn't have a choice. Oklahoma has never been that, even Correct. before right to work. And so when a legislator may, a member may be talking to a legislator and say, yeah, but this is about the Janus decision, what would be your response to them? My response would be that that decision doesn't apply to Oklahoma and it never has. It's it's unnecessary. Is it really is. It really is. Um, we have had... Uh, attorneys make rulings on this and not just our attorneys. We've had outside attorneys make, make, uh, uh, rulings on this saying, absolutely not. It's not necessary in most of the Midwestern states, frankly, it's never mm-hmm. been, uh, it's never been forced membership or forced, uh, fee paying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've never needed this. And, and, and our members feel like it's a direct attack on the, our voices. Mm-hmm. We know our voices are louder when we're together. Uh, we know, um, our members that pay dues, that pay my salary to be at the Capitol speaking on their behalf, um, it makes things not go as smoothly at the Capitol because we let our members know what are, what's going on. And I do think it is a direct um, a direct uh, effort to, to quiet our voice. Yeah, it's such a benefit to uh, – well, I don't benefit. It was just – it was so easy to payroll deduct mm-hmm. – that you don't have to worry about it, whether it was whatever subscription or whatever. I I think I had maybe like three or four things payroll deduct, but it was just off my plate. Right. And it took one thing off my plate and I didn't have to worry about it. You know it. what? My district had a had a thing you could payroll deduct. You could put money in an account each each month for the year. And I had a lot of colleagues that kind of use that as their Christmas shopping budget. Oh, yeah. I call it shoe right? money. Well, I like to call it shoe money too. But in December, they would take yeah. that money out and that would be what they shopped for Christmas like for their families. Yeah. And every district isn't going to do that. And does that take a little bit of extra work from our HR department or a payroll department? Yes, but that's a, a perk mm-hmm. that the district wanted to offer. If these agreements are made at the local level, why does the state care? Exactly. And and so so 634 is a big one that affects folks across our state, every single member, and not just OEA members, anyone that's a member of any education professional association, there are three in our state. Right. And so no one's forced to join any of them. It's optional. No, there, you know, no one's, no one's threatening them. There are no baseball bats involved. No, no threats of any kind. You get to be a member and you get to drop at any time. Yeah. And right. be in our administrator's association as well. For sure. So, yeah. So one, so that's kind of, I would say like the big picture attack on educators across the state. Right. And then we also have Senate Bill 1579, which is a much more targeted For attack sure. on educators. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I can't remember if we've talked about this on here before, but uh, Senate Bill 1579 is a bill that really only affects seven school districts. Uh, our, our big districts that have enough members and those members have chosen to pay uh, a little bit above the average dues at the local level to pay a person, their president, to be on a leave of absence where they spend all of their time just representing members. Uh, the more members you have and the larger the district, the, the more issues pop up, right? Um, you've got more buildings. You've got more administrators. You've got more people involved. And so anytime you have those people involved, you're going to have some issues that need to be ironed out. So these districts, these seven districts have allowed the local associations to pay. So they reimburse the district for this person's salary, for their fringe benefits, for their retirement, for their, you know, everything. We call it total costs. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not costing the state any money. It is not costing the district any money. 
Why on earth does the state of Oklahoma, with all of the challenges we face, care about nine people? Mm-hmm. Um, it, so, so it is a direct target. Again, we're not targeting firefighters. We're not tar- targeting police union activity. We know that those entities have these same uh, agreements with with their with the municipalities or the counties or whomever they are uh, representing. Um, troopers at the state level. So we can't even say it's a state level. That's what the, that's what the claim in committee, uh, pro Tim Hilbert claimed, well, these are state employees. Well, so are troopers. So, so, um, how else would we take it other than an attack on us having a larger voice as a group? Um, and we'll say it affects nine people, but really affects thousands of people that those nine people yeah, represent. That go out and help every day. Absolutely. That are helping um, in the buildings to help teachers uh, grow, mm-hmm. that help support staff when they need it. It's, it's not always in that adversarial lane either. No, it's not just when someone is, their job is on the line. Very, very often it's just... Um, hey, here we need this. Can you come and bring it to mm-hmm. us? We need an extra set of hands for this activity we're doing. We have an assembly coming up. You know, so sometimes it's just it's just an extra set of hands, but many, many times it's that collaborative relationship between administrators at the district level and the teachers. It's 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 the person that is trying to make things run run smoothly in a district. I know these local leaders personally, and they have actually been out and helping substitute in their buildings so during often. this year. Mm-hmm. Because of the lack of substitutes we've had. Right. So they are invested in, that's their district. Yes. They and this is their family, there. right? Yeah. I, I, I think I've told this story, but I was a local leader at a non-leave of absence district. And many, many times my superintendent would call me to help her put out some fires mm-hmm. and just, just take care of things before they got big. And I was happy to do it. It was a, a very much a two-way relationship, a mutually beneficial mm-hmm. relationship. If it wasn't, they would not continue to grant these leaves of absence. So let it be a local decision. Mm-hmm. It's kind so, of a scary thought. What's next? What are, right. what are they so, going to go after next? So if you're not one of those nine people and you're not one of in one of those seven districts, why do you care? Because I do believe this is the, the camel's nose under the tent, Right. If, if they are willing to intervene in things that have been collectively bargained at the mm-hmm. local level, yeah. whatever that happens to be, what what's next? Is it going to be to take away our, our ability to collectively bargain? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be to, to limit um, what types of things can be discussed at the local level? And, and so I, as a member, um, I was never, I, I never taught in one of these districts, but it is, very worrisome for me. It's very concerning to me that the state of Oklahoma is intervening in only education mm-hmm. associations' abilities to do these things. Uh, no other groups are attacked like this. And so um, in a time where we have got a crisis on our hands in staffing levels and schools at, at, at all positions, um, why are we attacking? Why are we not supporting? And I, I think this is one of those bills when we talk about bills that impact people because this is really focused and not that the community doesn't care about these bills, but this is really targeting educators. 
it's one of those bills that I think when we ask our members to call their legislator, that touch point is even more important Mm -hmm. because, you know, that target ask is coming to a group of individuals that will be most impacted by this legislation. Absolutely. And so if only those nine people are talking to their nine legislators, it's a real hard to get any traction. But as we've started to have conversations with legislators about this and just shown them how honestly how silly it is and how how targeted and and an attack that it feels and and I think what they understand is every school employee in their districts wherever they are in the state of Oklahoma feel that they need more support not the opposite mm-hmm. and so um, that's how we've been able to get across so so if you're a member in in a district that that uh, Maybe you don't think you're affected by this. Our ask would be, please call your legislature, legislator and, and let them know just how you feel about how it, how it looks and how it feels and, and um, you know, what kind of support you need in your mm-hmm. school. And yeah. this isn't one of them. No one's asking for this. You know, our over 30,000 members of teachers, support professionals, administrators, our membership is not... There, there are peeps that are in the buildings every day helping students and teaching students. When you attack seven, you attack all of us right? because you attack our association. Right. And what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are at least something when we talk about we're something we're for next week too, right? So there's a bill uh, we've talked about, the community schools bill, House Bill 3374. Right. This is a bill that we've gotten really excited about. Uh, Representative Tammy West brought a bill this year that would allow the state of Oklahoma to access some grant funds to uh, to let some schools do some pilot programs on community schools. Uh, it's We're allowed to have community schools in the state of Oklahoma now, but but it's always that funding piece, right? You always have to prioritize. Tulsa Union has prioritized this over the last 10 or so mm-hmm. years. And so it's really exciting. We got to go and actually tour the, the school at Tulsa Union a few weeks ago and just see the really neat things they can do with that community partnership, bringing families into the building, um, really building those supports for what families need. And and what I got the most out of that tour was um, every community school looks different mm-hmm. because every neighborhood, every every um, area surrounding the feet, the, the families that feed into that specific elementary school, we looked at elementaries, mm-hmm. they need different things mm-hmm. and they want different things. Um, we only got to look at one, but, but in hearing the administrators in that district talk, um, one one of theirs is STEM based. Yeah. One of them is just really more community based and in, in a lower economic situation. So they're they're focused on feeding and mental health supports and different things. Uh, they had a, a clinic, a health clinic, yeah. with mental health and regular health. I don't yeah. know what we call that. <laughs> yeah, services, just primary, <laughs> primary <laughs> health. Yes, yeah. sorry wellness. about that. Wellness, wellness health. <laughs> wellness <laughs> health. Um, on the on the premises, so families don't have to take, I mean, some of these families are working multiple jobs. They're not going to be able to take off to take their child to a, a, a clinic or, or to, to counseling services. And so they're offering that um, if the parents want it, no one's forcing anyone mm-hmm. to do anything. If parents want it, that those health clinics have served 50,000 yeah. community patients this year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This year. Yeah. So tell me that's not a need in many, many oh. communities. I loved it. So that- we're excited that 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 bill. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, we're excited that that bill has a chance to move uh, through the next to the last step uh, this week. Um, 
it is eligible to be heard on the Senate floor. Senator Pemberton has kind of been the champion to take it up in the in the Senate. And and he went on that tour. Uh, We saw him uh, get the same joy that we did on that tour. And um, it but but this week is the last week. Right. Uh, Next this this coming Thursday is the committee airs the floor deadline for any House bill to be heard in the Senate, any Senate bill to be heard in the House. So we're really hoping to uh, see that get one more step along the way. I believe it has had an amendment, so it'll go back to the House for a final vote and hopefully be signed by the governor. First Lady Sarah Stitt. First Lady Sarah Stitt really likes the bill. Uh, Representative West has worked with the First Lady to um, work with the Science of Hope, Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of her initiatives as the First Lady. And so we are super excited to see where this goes and some communities that can to, to move this along. You know, my favorite thing about that tour is, um, so they have like a community kitchen on in their school. And so they had a high rate of diabetes in the community. And so they were able to, um, their hope is that they can come in and show how to prepare healthy meals. And because we know when our families are healthy, our kids are healthy and they're at school mm-hmm. and our parents are engaged and the the ability to let the community reserve their their oh, yeah. space yeah. for family events and for community events and partnered with churches to feed these families on evenings yeah. and you know where when you feed them they will come yeah. we know that if you work in a school garden. you know how, oh a community yeah. garden that the community can come, come in and, and work in and teach the kids those types of skills but also access to free uh fresh produce yeah. for families I love all of that so much. And and it really, to me, it goes back to when we talk about we do want positive changes within our school systems. You know, we do want to see our districts be able to have offer options that fit the needs of their students. And the community schools is just a platform that could be beneficial to so many people in our state. So absolutely. So we like to end on a good note. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Ivy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We are joined this morning by what I would call my neighbor, Katie, but her official title is Director of Oklahoma School Foundation Network um, through the Oklahoma Foundation for Excellence. So welcome, Katie. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks, Catherine. I'm so glad to be with you today. Excited that you're here. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about the Oklahoma School or the Oklahoma Foundation for Excellence. Absolutely. So the Oklahoma Foundation for Excellence has been around for a long time. It was founded in 1985 by then Senator David Boren, um, who wanted to find ways to recognize and encourage academic excellence in Oklahoma's public schools. Um, And as you know, this is something that persists in today's culture. Sometimes teachers in in our public schools do not get the respect that they deserve. Um, And he saw that as a real issue and wanted to elevate the conversation surrounding public education and to honor teachers and students who achieve academic excellence. So that's sort of how the Foundation for Excellence itself got started. And then your particular component, you oversee the School Foundation Network. So what's that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Oklahoma School Foundations Network is a program that was started shortly after the foundation 
for Excellence was uh, was founded. And it was when it was started, public school foundations were just becoming a thing across the country. And this was another area where the trustees of the foundation looked around and said, man, we really need to get these going in Oklahoma, that these are powerful citizen-led groups that have a lot to bring to the table for their public school districts. And so originally, when the, the school foundation network was founded, it was to help communities start their own school foundations. Well, now we have over a hundred that we or over 200 school foundations across the state that we know of operating at lots of different levels of capacity. And so although we are still available to help communities that don't have a school foundation start one, we've really switched our focus more to becoming a true network of support. Um, that includes offering training opportunities, some nonprofit consulting. Um, I am available to do strategic planning sessions for free with school foundations across the state. And so we just provide a lot of really uh, focused nonprofit service to that sort of niche of public school foundations. So are they, there's 200, we have over 500 districts in our state. So are they mainly urban, suburban, or do we have some in our rural areas as well? They are all over. We have them in the tiniest towns and in the biggest cities. Um, And as I mentioned, just a lot of different levels of capacity. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with some of the public school foundations um, in the Oklahoma City metro area, the Tulsa metro area. And some of them are large enough that they have dedicated staff, executive directors, Mm -hmm. um, and they're running at a very high level. But we also have lots of small school foundations that are doing great work giving teacher grants and scholarships in their very small rural communities. So it really is a big spectrum. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that we have rural schools that also have foundations. And um, so where where do foundations get their money? Where does it come from? That's a really good question. Um, like most nonprofits, they hustle for it. And, and that is making relationships in their communities, finding donors in their communities that are invested in public schools and that want to help. And then I really think that that is where the power of the school foundation comes into play and why it's really important for communities and districts to have them. We have a lot of people that care about public education across the state that are not education experts that cannot connect and cannot bring a message of, you know, nuanced discussion of what's right for public schools or what isn't, but that want to play a part in making their community public schools strong. And so public school foundations offer an opportunity at a volunteer level for a banker, an attorney, someone who runs a business in their town to connect with and help fundraise and support their local public schools, even in the absence of having quote unquote, education expertise. Mm -hmm. So I think it's such an essential and critical connecting piece, especially um, in today's public education climate, that we have those citizen leaders that are invested in their local public schools. So the, your nonprofit also does work for educators too, as far as providing resources and education opportunities. Can you touch a little bit on those programs too? Absolutely. I'd love to. So the Foundation for Excellence, definitely our focus is trying to, like I said, encourage academic excellence in Oklahoma's public schools. And as part of that effort, we have several different programs that teachers can take advantage of. I mentioned our academic awards. Part of that is our Medal for Excellence program. And the Medal for Excellence program um, each year is awarded to an elementary educator, 
a secondary educator, and a K-12 administrator. There are also two additional sort of college-level awards that are available. Um, but that's a, a process by which an educator can be nominated, um, go through an application process, vetted. We have an independent selection committee that reviews those. Be chosen and be honored with a $5,000 cash award. Um, we have a huge banquet that's like the Academy Awards of Education um, that's in May of each year. It's a really special opportunity for teachers to just feel honored for the work that they do and to elevate that work um, and showcase it, really. So that's something that we would encourage anyone who's listening to the podcast that knows an amazing educator. Um, those applications generally come open in the fall. And I would encourage you to go to OFE.org and just sort of look at the timeline on that and think about who in your community needs to be honored for their excellence. Um, Another program that we do is our, our Early American History Education Program. That's a unique opportunity for fifth and eighth grade social studies teachers particularly. We partner with Colonial Williamsburg and Mount Vernon. Oh, those are such great programs. Such those amazing awesome. programs. Yeah, so we um, have have funding and help connect teachers to that funding opportunity to attend their training programs in the summer. And again, that's sort of a, a selection process that you have to apply um, to have that opportunity. And then a, a little niche part of that is in the past, we've we've put on and modeled a Colonial Day experience for students. And it, it's happened at the Capitol. It's happened at the Oklahoma History Center. And in the past two years due to COVID, it's one of those pivots mm-hmm. that actually sort of had a silver lining because we were able to partner with Mount Mount Vernon and with Colonial Williamsburg to do virtual programming mm. and to have some of their historical interpreters come on Zoom and, you know, sort of provide that experience. And students across the state were able to access that for free um, through our foundation and have that historical interpreter experience no matter where they live in the state. So instead of reaching a small number, maybe 500 students that could come to the Capitol for that Colonial Day, we had thousands of students across the state have the opportunity to hear those magnificent interpreters bring history to life. So that's a unique opportunity as well that fifth and eighth grade social studies teachers can take advantage of. Yeah, I know so many educators that have gone to Colonial Williamsburg. I just didn't know how they got there. <laughs> that's like, right. Where did they get there? I know. <laughs> well, as we know, you know, funding is always an issue for teachers and especially, yeah. you know, teachers that are motivated to seek out that level of training. We're excited to provide the opportunity for them to attend those types of trainings. And that sort of leads me to our other sort of area that we can have some impact for teachers. And that is that we do have teacher professional development programming. Um, the focus of that, probably the the most unique opportunity, is that we we partner with a national organization called Fund for Teachers that allows teachers to self-define and come up with their own sort of professional development opportunity that they want to pursue. So it can be everything from um, I want to study uh, cultivation of a special kind of flower in England. Or, oh, I think I need to do that. Yeah, yes. I already have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas, too. I mean, much, enough so that I'm like, hmm, maybe I need to get back in the classroom so that I can go to Australia and find out about those reefs. Yeah. So it, that, again, is another sort of selection process that you, you know, obviously have to apply, um, but we can help connect teachers with that experience. And so that's... So there's funding for that. There is So funding like how much, that. how much, how much would it take me to get to England? <laughs> I know that's such a good question. Um, 
I'm embarrassed to say I'm not sure exactly what the, if there are funding limits okay. on it. I think that there there probably are at some level, obviously, yeah. um, you know, cons, a consideration of what your total budget can be. But it really just comes down to that sort of that pitch of of how are you going to do this thing learn from it and bring it back bring it to back. students, right? Go. And yeah. so we've had some amazing teachers come back from these experiences and go on to just do incredible things in their classroom uh, with the things that they've learned. And so, again, it's another thing that teachers deserve to be treated like professionals and have the opportunity to pursue those really unique and amazing experiences. And so we're proud to offer um, that connection to Fund for Teachers and make that available to teachers. Yeah, the great thing is when you're you're doing those unique experiences. You're bringing those unique experiences back to your kids, back to your classroom, and that's that's the purpose of it. Absolutely. I mean, I can think, you know, having taught eighth grade, I had some magical opportunities to go. Uh, I got to go to a national science teachers convention mm-hmm. in San Diego and learn some things in that and attend a Lego work. A robotics workshop at Legoland oh, wow. and bring that back to my students and and how exciting that was for all of us. And so I, I just love that our foundation provides those opportunities awesome. for teachers. And will you tell us that website again too, just in case our Absolutely. Members I would to love it? to. So we're the Oklahoma Foundation for Excellence. So our website is OFE.org. Awesome. Oh, that one's easy. It's yeah, very easy. we can yes. do that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today and letting us know about opportunities that our educators may not know about. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. Ellen, I'm so excited because tomorrow on Saturday, April the 23rd, is our first annual ESP conference for education support professionals. I'm so excited. Finally here. Yes. I feel like we've been saying it each week, you know, get registered, come. Um, It's just, we call it a drive-in, drive-out. It's start at nine, registration starts at 9.30 till two o'clock. We'll have lunch. Uh, it's free. And it's just going to be a time for our our education support professionals to come together, to talk together, do some planning together, um, because there's such a unique, um, there, there are so many different families with inside our education support professionals. And so they have a very uniqueness about them. And mm-hmm. this is just going to be a day for them to be together and then, ooh, getting really excited, like I said last week, uh, Delegate Assembly back in person Yay. on May 6th and 7th. Uh, we will be at the Hilton Garden Inn in Edmond, Oklahoma. We have over 200 delegates that are registered wow. from across the state. Uh, if you're a local leader and you need to get your delegate credentials in, get them into Rita Kennedy as soon as possible. And if you're also a delegate, you should be receiving weekly emails from, uh, they'll come from me, and that we're just each week we're highlighting some new pieces, uh, continuing to reinforce those pieces that you know we have COVID protocols set up, and so that way we can just be there safe and be together, and we're excited about it. And then, uh, hot news, uh, we have the dates for summer leadership this year are June 22nd and 23rd. And it's really unique this year because the afternoon of the 22nd is going to be an emerging leader session. Mm. And we're going to have some special session for 
uh, local leaders. And then we're going to just have some, if, if you're just want to be there anyway, um, you're not a president or vice president, secretary, treasurer, or emerging leader. We're just going to have some other sessions for you as well. So come and join us that afternoon, and then we'll have a full day of learning the next day. And that is going to be at the embassy suites on in Northwest Oklahoma city on Northwest expressway. And we use that location for our organizing conference and it was it's new and it, they have, they did a fabulous job. They, for us. They I'm really, excited about that. You had me at summer. I'm already excited. Yeah, summer. <laughs> and, it's, and it's just a time to come together. We'll be talking a lot about our back to school and getting ready for back to school. But we're doing it in June. Sometimes we do it in July. And what we found is there's a lot of conflicts a lot of times with vacations. So we just want to make sure it's a time that it's accessible for everybody. Then you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the summer. So do you have big summer plans? I mean, my kids are going to camp. I don't know. We're uh, just all ready for some. Are they ready like, for warm weather? Are they doing like the go stay at the camp they, for the week? Yes, they go to Camp Classic. Oh. That's their big overnight oh, camp. I love Camp Classic. So oh. anyway, that's they're really excited. That is so much fun. So, well, thank you, Ivy and Katie, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.